Welcome to the Spotlight on TheConstantInvestor.com and this week something a bit different. Now an increasing number of self-managed super funds are not just investing in businesses, they're buying them. That's one way to overcome the problem of incompetent, overpaid CEOs. If you own the business, you can fire them. The question I suppose is, can you be bothered? And are the risks greater if you're a business owner rather than simply a small investor? Well, maybe, but the returns can be much greater as well, both financial and emotional. I can attest that owning and running a business is very satisfying and can be very rewarding as well. So I tracked down the National Chairman of the Australian Association of Business Brokers, Graham Long, to investigate the matter. What to look for, how to go about it, what are the risks and the rewards. Graham's own business, by the way, is called Negocia, based in Brisbane. I started by asking him whether he's starting to see SMSFs in the market to buy small businesses. They're certainly looking at it. Um, certainly we've seen more private equity firms who I think represent a lot of in private investments who are starting to move into the market to seeking higher returns in terms of uh, getting some sort of return on their capital. Yeah, we've started to see that only through private equity at the moment, not so much self-managed super funds, although we do have a few that are starting to appear in the marketplace. So uh, tell us about what a self-managed super fund should be looking for. I mean, obviously, if we're talking a cafe or any other kind of business, the, the, the self-managed super fund person is not going to want to sit there making coffees all day. Uh, what sort of numbers should they be looking for and what sort of business? These are general returns, I would think, Alan. But if you would look at this sort of scale, is that anything up to about 20% return, you're looking at something freehold and have got some sort of freehold security behind it. Your larger leasehold businesses, um, you'll start to see them come for sale on a return somewhere late teens to 35 40%. And one should always be careful about the lease terms and conditions there. Um, and their large business is probably doing 4 or $5 million a year or over. When you get up the scale a little to the smaller SME enterprises, um, you're looking at returns of plus of 40% through to probably 60 or 70. And then when you get to what we call the buy your own job market, you're probably looking at 80% plus. Let's just uh, unpick that a bit. Uh, most of SMSFs don't have millions of dollars in there. I mean, some do, obviously. But yep. we're talking sort of somewhere north of 500000 possibly a million dollars in an SMSF. So they'd be looking, yep. to, they'd be looking to, to invest no more than one or 200000 in a particular investment. Yep. At that sort of level, can you buy a business that you can then put staff into or is that too small? I would think that's too small in my experience. I would think um, a very general yardstick for people to think about is a profit level in the hands of the proprietor, and, and we need to be careful about what profit level we're talking about here. But if you talked about a proprietor earning, say, $250,000 a year out of a small business, and then you said, well, okay, and that would be sold, say, on a, on a return on investment of, say, 50%, which means the business would be worth somewhere in the vicinity of $500,000. Now, with the $500,000, people need to be aware that that's got to be total funds in. So that's the business plus any working capital plus any other bits and pieces that have got to go into the total funds to run the business on a normal day-to-day -day basis. And then if you said, well, okay, I really don't want to run the business, I want to pay a manager to do it, and then you paid a manager, say, you know, $80,000 a year from the two fifty, that would leave you at about $170,000 a year, 
And if you said, I'm looking for a 30% return on that, which would be appropriate, then that would bring you up to a business, you know, in that vicinity of about $500,000. So, so there's a general yardstick. Now, if you get below the 250, Alan, as you could see, once you get down to under the 200 and you start to pay someone out, then you're left with a profit level of around about that $100,000 um, and it starts to get iffy. If you bought a, a business for $500,000, in your experience, is that the sort of business that one person can manage for you? Yeah. Now, with all these things, um, it depends on the industry. It depends on the knowledge of the party who's the actual investor and owner. Uh, and it depends on the skill of the, of the manager. And there's not a lot of opportunities out there for those sort of things. But basically, that, that can be done, yes. And what sort of businesses are we talking about? The ones that are in the mind, you'll find something in the wholesale sector, services sector, um, manufacturing sector, particularly the services sector. Like what? Such as what? Well, for instance, we were involved in recently in the sale of a cleaning business, which would have done exactly that. It was well set up. Um, it was run by a, a, an operational manager. Minimum involvement of the owner. That sort of business turned over pretty well. And that was just in commercial cleaning. Tell us what the numbers on that commercial cleaning business were, you know, obviously without naming it. What would you buy it for and what would you, what sort of return would you get? Pretty much along the lines we've just been discussing, Alan. And so the return on that one would be somewhere in the vicinity of 35% after they paid up the um, management team. And that's after paying the cleaners as well? Yep. Yeah, that We're talking about a profit level, um, profit level before interest, taxation and depreciation, the normal profit level we describe. Look at it now. People need to be careful that profit levels with all small businesses, um, the, the key risk feature in small businesses is that the ownership, the proprietor and the ownership category, be it a sole trader, partnership, PTY company, trust or whatever, um, have a huge impact in terms of how the profits are distributed and often fairly big influence on what the expenses are. So, so when you, whenever you're dealing with a small business enterprise that's privately owned, then a certain due diligence in terms of working out, okay, exactly what is this business making at an operational level? What's the problem? Well, for instance, if you're a sole trader, you may set your business up in terms of how you borrow money, um, how you employ members of your family, how you pay the product profits from that business out, whether you run a car or not from the business, whether you have a whole bunch of expenses from the business which you are allowed to use from a taxation point of view, you will maximise your position from a taxation point of view. Um, if you're a partnership, you will do the same. Now, that means that because you are maximising the, the business in terms of its operations and its activities to benefit you personally, then when you find that the taxation return goes in, it may not actually record exactly what the business is making. You need to look at where the, the cash flow is being distributed and to who's getting it. For instance, you may have a business um, that's got a uh, husband and wife in it and one's not drawing a wage or one's being overly paid. They're both getting uh, a whole bunch of super put into um, their superannuation accounts and you might find that um, the profit level in that business is pretty low. But when you go through and look at where the money is going, you'll find out there's a whole bunch of associated entities either 
uh, working in the business or they may have a super fund that owns the business premises. They control then the rent. No, no, that's that's surprising. So what you're saying is that the taxable profit that they're declaring to the tax office might be quite low, but the actual profit might be quite high. I mean, that's correct. In a sense, correct. that's that's advantageous to the buyer of the business, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and I highlight that because sometimes people just look at the tax returns and say, oh, it's not worth it. But when you actually investigate where the cash flow is and where it's going, you might find that um, it's um, quite a um, attractive proposition. What about cafes? Are they a good proposition? Cafes are what I would call fashionable at the moment. Um, I think uh, coffee shops, cafes, food businesses tend to be fashionable uh, at this period of time. With all businesses, not only cafes, but we'll talk about cafes. So cafes, fashionable, but you always remember that the biggest costs of a business are your uh, lease and your wages, and you are your lease may influence when the hours of work have got to be when you've got to have the the thing open, and if you're required through the lease and legislation um, to open seven days, you might find that the labour bill there is quite high. So so let's look at that. The other thing about cafes and food industries is they tend to be also governed by the fashion of the product lines. So something can be popular this year and something else, and then you'll get a change of venue or a change of culture or a change of of um, items that are popular to people. Are you saying you'd, you'd steer investors away from cafes? I'm saying to anyone who buys any small uh, to medium enterprise, um, you need to look at four things. One is why is it making money and what are the risks to it maintaining its profit levels? Second thing you need to look at is look at its financial information to work out exactly what it is making in terms of cash flow. The third thing you need to look at is the marketplace to find out how uh, much supply and demand there is for that product in the marketplace. Um, and then you look at need to look at the financial um, financial information in terms of its trends and ratios and where's it's going from there. So, so with any small enterprise, you need to look at why is it making money, where's it been, where's it now, where's it going? Because you're really what you're doing is you're saying, well, I'm buying this business for its future profit levels, and therefore you need to understand what are the risks to those profit levels not being maintained, and those profit levels will usually be expressed in terms of the return on investment. Are there any risks that are common to all businesses or is it really to do with the industry that it's in? I would think the, the risks to most businesses are the ownership uh, and the direction and culture of the ownership. What do you mean by that? By, well, different owners have different cultures and different ways of running their businesses. You might get one who's quite casual about how they keep the books, how they run their business, how they look after its plant and equipment. And then you might get another owner who's completely um, a, a real business person in terms of how he looks after his staff, his businesses, um, niche marketing, uh, and all those bits and pieces. So the ownership is uh, an influence. The other thing is, is to me, the biggest Risk in businesses I see today, particularly retail businesses, is the lease. Um, and remember that if you're paying for the future profits of the business, the lease governs the tenure of the business. In other words, it'll say it's uh, 10 years, 5 years, 15 years, or a number of options that bring it to a period of time. So it actually defines the period of earnings that that business can actually earn um, profit in that particular site. Um, within the lease, um, people need to be careful of the trading hours, because trading hours can be mandated in the lease, but they can also be impacted by regulation. People should look at the assignment conditions, uh, under what uh, if there's any limitations on assignment conditions. Uh, importantly, they need to look very closely at whether or not there are redevelopment clauses um, or uh, relocation clauses within the lease. 
uh, and they certainly need to look at um, provisions where there may be a demolition clause or something that can um, re reduce, further reduce the tenure period of a business within the lease itself. So if you assume that, oh, I've just bought a business with a 5 plus 5 plus 5, you might find then there are certain uh, provisions within the lease itself that provide additional risks to that business not being able to maintain its profit levels. Sounds like you'd prefer businesses that don't require a lease, like a cleaning business or something. That um... <laughs> no, we, we deal with them all. Uh, we deal with them all, Alan. But of course, when you've been in the industry as long as I have, you've certainly learnt that um, that it's the physical nature of the business and its features that are more important than anything else. And you need to understand those because from those you'll be able to ascertain what are the, where are the risks and what are the risks to the profit levels going forward. And remember, you're actually buying what you're paying for business. In very simple terms is, you know, I'm going to pay one or two or three years worth of the future profits now for the rights to the profit of the business thereafter. Same in a share. If you buy a share at, uh, you know, 10 times, what you're saying is I'm going to pay the next 10 years worth of profits now for the rights to ownership and the benefits thereafter. It's the same equation in a small business. And if you think of that's what you're doing, you're saying, okay, I'm going to pay you one year, two years, three years, or four years worth of future profits now for the right to own the business and its benefits and the future profits of the business. That's essentially what you're doing. It sounds like um, one of the benefits of, of investing in a business is that the multiple um, of profit is less than it is on the share market. Yes, it is. Um, the share market shares are what we would call liquid. As you would know, Alan, you, if you decide to sell a share in the next week or two, you can you can liquidate it and and go on and do something else. SME enterprises are illiquid. Um, there's not a huge market for them. If you want to uh, sell a business, take an opportunity cost, then then they're not liquid per but, se. But so, the liquidity costs you money, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I mean, so from what you were saying before, that you could actually buy a business for two times profit. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Because when you're looking at a small um, business, you might find it's restricted in terms of tenure and the risks associated with that particular business in terms of its position, its location, its premises, its lease, the customers, its, sorry, its products and services, its offers, its terms of trade, the customers, its marketing efforts its supply, its stock holdings, its work in progress, its competitors, compliance issues, how it's managed, um, what are its procedures, operational procedures, um, systems, processes, all those sort of things um, are risk within a small business. And because there are more risks in a small business in terms of being able to predict the future earnings level, then the risks associated with that is obviously expressed higher in a higher return like 50% or a two times multiple. Are there any businesses that you can think of that would particularly suit a retiree uh, who perhaps wanted to work part-time? Uh, yep. Um, I would think that's a growing part of the marketplace. Increasingly, we're seeing people who are looking for home-based businesses that require maybe uh, one or two days a week, and we're finding small distribution runs, we're finding small manufacturing businesses, um, small distribution businesses, anything that requires uh, not a lot of commitment. Um, but will give you sort of five or six hundred bucks a week in your pocket uh, are increasingly attractive and and because there's increasing attractiveness for them and, and demand, the prices of those tend to be going up. So what would you pay for a business that would give you five or six hundred dollars in your hand? Somewhere between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars, I would think. And what sort of business are we talking about? When you say a small manufacturing business, I mean, what are you making? 
Well, you, you could be making um, small items um, like candles or you could be making small items for a major manufacturer, that sort of thing, where you could turn around and say, well, I can manufacture 20 or 30 square metres of floor space, put it up, put it in a, in a, my garage or my shed, and then I can sell those uh, to my customers through the net or on a distribution run. And what's your cut when you sell a business? Oh, that's a difficult one to answer. Okay, you'll find that in the business broking area, there's a very great diversity in terms of business models. There are those who simply work on a commission basis. Most will start at $20,000 and go up from there. There are those who work on a part upfront fee basis and a commission basis, but you will find most of them today are somewhere between 5 and 10% of the eventual sale. Uh, in my particular case, uh, we, we use a minimum fee. We use, um, we use a system whereby if you want us to do a, a written assessment of the business, which is always a good place to start, um, we'll have a look at that and do that, give you a formal written appraisal of it. Um, then we'll prepare your documentation um, for you, um, and then we will go into the marketplace for you and represent you in the marketplace. So we will have a fee for doing that service, and then we will share a success fee with you from there. What's your fee? Uh, my fee at the moment is about 4% plus uh, upfront costs. Oh, well, 4 is better than 5, isn't it? Well, it's a case of um, in the small business market, Alan, there's a lot of us who are, well, in fact, all of us have real estate agents licences. And sadly, most people think that um, business brokers, particularly those who are looking at the lower end of the SME marketplace, are real estate agents. Uh, and they expect you to be able to, you know, print out a report and say, this is what my business is worth and this is what we're going to do, this, that, the other. That's an awful long way from the truth. I mean, if you're, uh, in my case, if I sit down and do a written assessment of a business, uh, even a coffee shop or a small baker shop, there's something in the city of 15 to 20 hours worth of work in that to do it properly and actually work out, okay, where is this thing really going to sell? Where is the range that, that we're likely to get interest in this business? It's not an easy exercise because at the end of the day, those things that do risk your business, which is its position, its industry, the local economy, the premises, the lease, um, what sort of products and services you're selling, who are your customers, what trading terms do you provide them, what's your means of supply, is there any threat to your supply, how much stock do you hold, how long do you hold it, um, what's your competition, what's the likelihood of competition coming to the marketplace, what government compliant issues are there with you, um, are there licenses and permits that can be assigned or not, what is your trading history, is it consistent over a period of time or is it volatile, um, what is your gross profit margin? Are you, in fact, recording the information? You're making my head spin, Graham. Well, so I'm glad I am, Alan, because because um, this is the problem we find, that people say, oh, I just want to look at an ROI. And my caution is you need to look at what is the future of this business and what are the physical features of the business that could offer risk to its maintainable earnings and from that you'll get a judgment of what the risk factor is so so again if you if people expect uh, people like myself to do that sort of work for nothing um they're fighting they're coming to a to a to an end where you know i'm not going to do that uh, yeah, i'm enough. not going to i'm not going to work for that period of time and put my assets and myself uh, at a liability for litigation just on a wild guess so <laughs> sorry, I'm no, sorry, but it's, it, no, but it's interesting because it's obviously much more complicated than a, in buying an investment property, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. Absolutely, it is. Um, there are more variables and it's exacerbated by the fact if you look at the, the small business world, 
there's something like 19 ANZEC codes, and then you turn around and say, well, right, within those codes, how many sectors are there? Within each sector, how many different size of businesses are there? Within those size of businesses, how many different ownership structures are they and how they're reporting their um, financial information, um, which makes it very difficult to operate from a database like um, the property industry can say, right, here's a whole bunch of um, commercial showrooms that have been sold. This is their sizes. This is a square metre. All those sort of things are readily available in terms of data points to be able to compare with. When you're, when you're looking at an SME enterprise, invariably they're all different because one of the things in an SME enterprise is you want a niche market. You want to make yourself different. You want to have a unique um, sales point or exact selling point. So by the nature of, of small businesses, they're all different and they strive to be different to get themselves ahead of the competition. So, so when you turn around and then say, well, okay, now we're going to put them all together and say all coffee shops are worth, you know, two times or three times or one time, doesn't make sense because, um, I mean, you can have two coffee shops in the same shopping centre and they'll both have a different culture, they'll both have different reporting systems, they'll both have different staff, management um, management cultures, etc., and come up with a different result. So if you turn around and say, well, they're going to be, you know, like two industrial sheds similar size of the same, that's not the case. I was speaking with Graham Long, the National Chairman of the Australian Association of Business Brokers. <laughs> 